welcome to another episode of Mere Fidelity, where we have conversations about life, theology, the church, and the culture. My name is Derek Krishmaui, and I'm joined by Matthew Lee Anderson and Alistair Roberts. Uh, today, we're taking up a bit of an Advent Christmas-themed episode. Um, we we want to talk about the Incarnation and just issues related, uh, clustered around the Incarnation, um, the, the, the union of God and man in Christ, the, the miracle of Christmas. And so... Um, we, we just figured we haven't done a show about it yet. It's one of the central mysteries of our faith. Uh, and, and so, and so this is just an opportune time with that though. I want to start off the discussion by having Alistair start off the discussion and save me from having <laughs> to do that, uh, do that myself, you know, I, you know, here's the thing. Delegation is a spiritual gift and I think I have it in this conversation. Oh, good Lord. Don't justify that. I'm that was, I mean, Christ come Matthew. on. I just, come on. Nothing. <laughs> Alistair, oh my goodness. Do your work. Pose a really long question. Okay. So here's a question for you guys. <laughs> here's a question for you guys. And it's something that has been pondered over for many years in the church. Irenaeus wrote about this as did others. Oh, good. If Adam had not sinned, would Christ have come in the flesh? We didn't get any warning for this. Like there was no, there was no like hint or notice that you were going to ask us this sort of question, Alistair. I, I would have thrown a fit had I known in advance that this was what was coming. Uh, Derek, I'm sure you have something to say about it. I believe I said my piece in the introduction, and now it's your turn, Matthew. <laughs> what, 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 okay, well, you, you get in so there for a little bit. I've, I'll weigh in. I have, I have no idea. First of all, Alistair, um, and if you think that we're going to get through this without you telling us what the answer is, you're mistaken because <laughs> we'll need you to tell us what the answer is. Um, but one thought that I did have um, this week, actually, about this question, um, as one does, uh, it, it struck me that the curse um, in Genesis 3 uh, the curse on women is that their pains will be increased in childbearing, which which indicates that that in the original creation there were actually pains in childbearing, that there was a kind of suffering, a kind of a kind of a, r- a real kind of suffering that uh, mothers experienced when they bore their child, um, and. That 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 struck me, um, and I've I've spent a lot of time this year thinking about childbirth and the way in which um, childbirth functions as a kind of uh, proleptic, if I can use the technical term, uh, disclosure of the resurrection, a kind of forward-looking uh, type of the sort of power that's at work in the resurrection, the making of things that are new. Um, And it did strike me as interesting that, um, that the, the connection between giving birth and pain 
were there in in the original creation and it, and it just made me wonder whether um whether what we have in the birth and the life of Jesus is a kind of intensification and a deepening of what we would have had anyways rather than a sort of sui generis type of uh, event which for the first time in my life inclined me to think that Christ would have become incarnate um, had the fall not happened, but because the fall happens, he becomes incarnate in this particular way uh, with this particular pains, uh, through, through these particular pains and sorrows and sufferings, all of which have taken on a heightened and, and aggravated form, um, a sort of unnatural form, as it were, uh, that he has to sort of remedy for and, and compensate for. So that's probably the strangest, um, but th- that is so speculative. I mean, that's just like, it's, it's almost nonsense um, to even say any of that because because it's so far disconnected from, I think, the sort of answers and reasons that have traditionally gone forward well, around that, that question. That might be a good thing to, to take up before we actually take up your specific formulation. What, what, is the, what, is the, what is the logic behind the incarnation anyways view, as it's sometimes called? Um, like what what have what have been the traditional reasons I, I know of a couple myself I don't remember Athanasius is um, uh, Graham Graham Cole has a book on a biblical theology of the incarnation where he kind of outlines briefly um, a couple of classic reasons one of which is uh, I think put forward by Maximus confessor Maximus the confessor uh, along the lines of divin- divinization that um, God had always intended to um, to let me say glorify humanity and and, and divinize it um, through uniting God with humanity and that you know he 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 becomes incarnate under the conditions of sin but that he you know like you said the end result was always intended for a union of, of God and man in the person of the Son and and um, and uh, and that and the, the glorification of human nature in that way. So that's, that's another one. I can't remember that there was a second one and I'm blanking on it right now. Um, Alistair, what are, what, what have you known about some of the traditional logics for incarnation anyway? Yeah. Give us the answer here. I mean, that is, <laughs> that is the familiar one. Um, Irenaeus takes something very similar, the idea of recapitulation and also that God's purpose was always to raise humanity up to a higher level. Um, I think it's interesting on this front i mean obviously we're dealing with the counterfactual and hypothetical that we have to be very careful dealing with that sort of thing but yet at the same time it can help us to understand something of the logic of god's work in history one of the things to recognize is that it helps us to pick apart different aspects of christ's work that christ raises humanity up to the highest level a level higher than adam ever attained to um, christ defeats satan um, wins the holy war against Satan, and then he also redeems humanity from sin and death. Um, and those three acts, only one of those depends upon um, mankind sinning um, for it to be necessary, which is the salvation of man from sin and death, because we still would have had to defeat Satan, and we still would have needed to be raised up to that higher level. And so I think on that front... 
there are suggestions of a sort of incarnation anyway position. Then also, I think you have, tying into some of the things that Matt was saying, this destination of a sort of rebirth of humanity, a rebirth from the grave in resurrection, the connection between resurrection and um, birth, the connection between the grave or the womb and the tomb is a very strong one in scripture. I mean, even within Genesis 3, you have that hint as the um, judgment upon the woman, which focuses upon her womb, is associated with the judgment upon man mediated by the earth as the tomb. And those two things go together. And poetically within scripture, they're very closely united. So you have um, poetically like, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will return there, or being knit together in the lowest parts of the earth. And then if you read in the Gospels, this image of Christ and his death as a woman entering birth pains, and then the resurrection is the birth of a new son into the world. Um, Christ is the firstborn from the dead. Um, we have the image of the Spirit as groaning, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God, the redemption of our, the re adoption of our bodies, etc. And you have um, Christ declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Um, all these sorts of themes seem to come together in important ways. And when you go to passages like 1 Corinthians 15, you have this sense of a forward thrust in God's purpose in creation, that mankind was always intended to bear the image of the heavenly man, not just the man of dust. And the man of dust was created in order that we might move forward to this man reborn from the earth as the man from heaven. Um, and so I think along those lines that's something of what would give weight to this incarnation anyway position. And even within the Old Testament, we see, as Matt was talking about, these themes of birth are very strongly present at key moments. So, for instance, Israel's birth as a nation in the Exodus, where you have all these images of groaning in birth in the beginning of the Exodus story, these women who are struggling to protect these infants, the Hebrew midwives, and Miriam, Jochebed, etc. And then Israel's suffering as a nation being described as that of a woman groaning in labour, and then God declaring about delivering his firstborn son, the rules concerning the firstborn child um, in association with the Passover and then the first law commandment of the firstborn, and then later on this deliverance through this narrow passage, through the breaking waters, and then coming out on the other side as this new people, um, baptised into Moses or whatever. And this image, I think, is a very powerful yes, one within Scripture. I, um, you get the same thing. I just want to point out, though, um, all of that scriptural imagery is there. All of that is, um, is true and right. Um, but almost all of that, all of those imagery, all of that is set within the, within, you know, the, the drama of the covenant and redemption. Um, so I'll, I'll just, I guess I'll register a minority report here just for the sake of it. Um, oh, two more things. I, I did find the other logic, the other logic that Cole brings up, uh, was by some medieval, essentially just suggesting that, um, God wants to be with us, <laughs> wants to just delight with delight with his children. And so that's kind of a, uh, an argument for, for nearness. Um, but 
but to all the all the biblical imagery you know i don't deny any of that but um again that's almost all of it set within the drama of redemption and nobody nobody would dispute that all of that is or at least we, we, i i wouldn't and and the the non-incarnation anyways you wouldn't dispute that all of it is ordained all of it is is kind of purposed and planned and that and so you have all these all these um typological connections and confluences and all these images coming together um and that that fit that that can actually fit pretty decently within a within a he became incarnate for sin um without speculating beyond what scripture says which is incarnation is always linked incarnation is always linked with uh christ's redemptive work I and mean, that's 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 thomas's that's thomas's logic against it um which you know thomas he, he can speculate from time to time calvin is you know insistent again that you, you can come up with all this logic but but scripture always links the two and uh and bobbing also um kind of just keeps on hammering that point that that I mean, if, I, if you can get Thomas, Calvin, and Bobby <laughs> to agree on something, you know, that's it's pretty good. Um, and, you know, my three witnesses for the defense have been called. Um, no, but but still, but that, that's my point. There is that, is that you that that I don't necessarily think the text, the textual evidence, and the way you're pointing to it um, settles it, pushes it in one way or another. At least that that I, that I was hearing. Um, you, because at that point you're trying to fit it, you're, you're fitting it into broader logics than are derived from, from just one or two scriptural themes. You're, you're kind of like pointing to the, to the, to the, I don't know, the taproot of, of, of God's purposes and all of God's purposes have been revealed in Christ under the conditions of sin and under the conditions of, of the fall and so on and so forth. So we, we, we don't really know of any Christ, uh, not incarnate under the conditions of sin. We don't know what that would look like. We don't know how, how that would culminate. The other argument is that I was thinking of right now is, um, you know, in the covenant of works, you, you have this sense, you know, you, you, you've got the pairing of, First Corinthians fifteen, um, man of dust, man of man of uh, heaven, a heavenly man. But the, it seems almost more fitting to talk about um, what would have happened uh, with respect to Adam. What would have happened had Adam obeyed? And 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 it seems like his glorification, um, like Christ fulfills what Adam was supposed to fulfill. Christ takes us to the point that Adam. Uh, had he been obedient, had he had he listened, had he resisted the servant, uh, he would have been confirmed in righteousness. And 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 it seems it seems that God could have, in a sense, glorified humanity and you know whatever divinized it, if you want to use that kind of language, um, you know, in itself. And he would have still been with God. And it still would have been the, this culmination of, of what of, 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 of a created glory. Um, so I don't know. That's a little bit of a pushback. I don't, I don't know what you guys make of that. 
Um, so Derek, I'm, I, you're absolutely right that there is no ground that we're standing on to ask this question that, that, that it is sort of pushing us outside of the text in, in one very important sense. Um, I think my question for you is something like the, you, you know, you, you point to all of everything Alistair was saying and, and, and fold it into the logic of the covenants and say, that's, you know, those are specifically a part of redemptive history, um, which is wrapped up, which is wrapped up with, uh, sin and with, uh, redeeming us from sin and so on and so forth. I think the question is something like, do you view that grammar or that logic of the covenants as extrinsic to the, um, if there is an order to creation, uh, the creation order, do you, do you view, did you view the grammar of the covenants as sort of div, sort of divinely set above the, um, order of creation such that they have no intrinsic development of or connection no. to the order of creation? Yeah. Or do you see them as disclosing something um, centrally important about the order of creation such that you could move from these instances of revelation, um, these these specific moments of divine action that have to do with childbirth and so on, to a more general understanding of the kind of thing that childbirth is and means in the original creation and the implications that that might have for um, God, I, I, man I, relations. So yeah, that's a good question. I do not see them as extrinsic. Um, I, I think, uh, I think, you know, the covenant of war, well, here, here's the hitch. Here's the hitch in all this. Is it, um, well, here's one of them. Only one? One of the hitches. Um, so reform <laughs> theology talks about three covenants oftentimes. The covenant of works and, and the garden and Adam covenant of redemption, you know, promised in Genesis three fifteen, and then kind of initiated Abraham, Moses, all that kind of stuff and fulfilled in Christ and all that. But prior to that, we've got the pactum salutis, the triune, you know, the, the pact of the triune God for the, you know, the, 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 the pre-temporal pact, um, for the salvation of sinners. Uh, so all of this is going, you know, the any, the anyways is a counterfactual, not only against what happened in history, but what God ordained in eternity. So there's that, you know, if you're, if you're sufficiently reformed or whatever, that, that there's something about that where you, you can say, okay, well, think about all, all you want, but, but God or God pacted within himself from eternity, um, that the incarnation would happen under the conditions of sin. So there's that, but but as for the covenant of works, I think that did happen. That is a, that is a, a covenantal, that there's a covenantal dimension of creation or creation itself is covenantally ordered. And the Adam part of his image bearing was his covenant headship. And so part of what I was trying to hint at was that, um, all that logic of birth and pain and, and, and completion and the, and the, and the, and the perfecting of nature and so forth that happens in Christ, um, was there already in, you know, that, that logic of, of awaiting a perfection and awaiting a, you know, an eschatological, um, end was there in the covenant of works. But, but if there's a, what would have happened had not sin 
scenario, it seems you can make the argument that the question is rather, if Adam had not sinned, would not Adam as the covenant head have attained these things? And so Adam, Adam's obedience along with Eve leading to um, God's gracious um, elevation of them, confirmation, grace, a glorification um, that is uh, the result of structures and, and, and a promise that was contained within the, the, the structures of creation itself. So it wouldn't be extrinsic. It would be in so far as it was always intended. And that was kind of like the, the structures of things, but there is a certain extrinsic, extrinsic nature in so far as these things would happen according to God's word and God's promise and, and, and the fact that he, he arranged it that way according to his will. So my point is that a lot of the goods that all those, all those themes that Christ fulfills, Christ fulfills as the second Adam, he's doing what Adam could have and should have done in a sense. Um, but now can't because of sin. So, so Christ as the second Adam fulfills and accomplishes what Adam had been intended in that sense. So there's that, that name that, uh, um, Matt, Brian Matson's Brian Matson's uh, dissertation on Herman Bobbing's eschatology, creational eschatology. His his name is called um, the, the name of the book is something like uh, "Restored to, Restored to Our Destiny," and that little summation captures that we had a destiny, we hadn't attained it. Christ restores us to what we should have attained. Um, so that's so that's the logic there. Um, does, that, does that help? question there is whether we conceive whether we can conceive humanity outside of christ um a humanity that achieves its final end apart i mean not in opposition to christ but apart from christ um mankind was made in the image of god christ is the image of god um the fact that christ humanity's end is achieved in christ is not something that's contrary to adam's nature or anything rather it's the fulfillment of it, that he should find his fulfillment in when you the say one Christ is the image of God, God, are you saying the like Christ the God man is the image of God or the Son is the image of God? Just to clarify. I think the Son so is the, the image Son, of God. So the Son who is God is the image of God. And so Okay. And yes. and so whose image is humanity made in is 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 humanity made in the image of the son who's the image of the father or is he made in the image of the entire trinity well we're made in the image of god christ is the image so of god. okay this is that's not quite the same thing as being made in the image right. of the image but of that, god. that's that's what you were kind of making it sound like so you it, uh, that's, all, that's all I'm trying to clarify. No, what I'm saying is that we are made in the image of God. Christ is the image of God. Okay, okay, okay. I'm hearing that. That's not the same thing as saying we are made in the image of okay. the image of. So, but I think D- Derek's uh, the the thrust of Derek's question, I think, is something like, so all that is all that is true. Once we understand those distinctions, that all seems right. Um, how does how does that relationship bear on the incarnation? Um, is is the incarnation of Christ, who is 
the image of God, um, a necessary component of us sort of grasping the content of the image or um, would it be possible for us to grasp the content of uh, Christ who is the image of God as the son um, without him being, being incarnate? I think the essential meaning of the image of God, we have concepts of these things in various ways. I think even the context of ancient Near Eastern societies can help us to understand part of what it means. But there's a, I mean, it's the same thing as Meredith Klein and others have argued about Christ as the sort of archetypal prophet, um, that Christ is the archetype. And Adam, in one sense, not sure what you call him, maybe the the prototype of um in some respects but christ is the one who is who sums up that identity in its fullness which adam could never do um the fullness was always christ in that identity um christ represents what it means to be the image of god in a way that no human being um born of adam um who isn't christ could um, they cannot represent that fullness. And so in that sense, I think there is this, as you say, um, it is dangerous to deal with these counterfactuals within the context of redemption. This is the way that it was always designed to be under the conditions of sin. However, what can be helpful in these sorts of questions is teasing apart the sort of questions of necessity, questions of teleological or purposive structure to God's work. Alistair, what do those big words so, mean? Although there's no question of things happening otherwise. <laughs> so the logic with which God's plan operates. So there are many things that God purposes, but not all of those things have the same necessity or centrality to his purpose as others. Some things hinge upon other aspects of the purpose. Other things are primary in their um, importance. And so it's that sort of thing that we're getting at when we're asking these questions. And in that respect, that's the basis on which I talk about incarnation anyway, whereas I do not believe that it is a counterfactual and it is something that it was never intended to be that way and never would have been yeah. that way. So I, 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 and I get that. I, I'm, again, I'm, I'm not totally anti-speculative in, a, in, in that respect, um, but getting the, getting the logic clear on that, um, I, I, I have seen some people make a big deal about the Incarnation Anyways thesis, um, almost, as if it's a, almost as if it's a bit of, rede- of revealed, revealed doctrine. And, and that this, it should be some massively formative way of thinking about um, uh, thinking about redemption history. And there's this part of me that um, I think that there is, I don't have a hard line view on this one, but I think that there's a lot of wisdom in the anti-speculative reserve of the Thomas or Calvin or Bobbing or whatever in terms of looking at the incarnation as it is, as it happened, as it was purposed and ordained, not as it maybe could have happened, um, in 
for, for the you know keeping our eye on keeping our eye on the actual ball, not the possible ball uh, in that sense. Um, and so I, I, just, I think there is a wisdom there. Um, but in some ways, to keep our eyes on the actual ball, we do have to ask some questions that do explore the the teleological structure or the the plan and how it hangs together. So, for instance, if we ask the question, could Christ have come as, um, I don't know, a Briton no. and saved humanity? Not at all. Not Did he have all. to be born under the law? <laughs> and so that sort of question raises a number of um, issues that we might not get at if we didn't ask hypothetical questions. And I think it helps us to tease out some of the things that are necessary and important about the actual incarnation. And I think that's what's helpful. So, for instance, the question about incarnation anyway helps us, for instance, to distinguish between the different dimensions of God's salvation. For instance, the difference between salvation as raising humanity to its higher status, salvation as saving mankind from sin and death, and then salvation as um, destroying the works of the devil. And all of those things are part of the picture, but it's very easy to collapse those in together if we're not thinking um, in terms of these sorts of questions. Let me ask you a question then. Uh, on, on, your, on, your, on your crass speculative construct, Alistair, um, <laughs> um, the I'm just I'm just thinking about given the structure of the covenant of works, you know, and, and we see in the garden, we see we see a, a possible counterfactual there. Adam could have obeyed, and there was an implied yep. promise of eternal life and and eventually wisdom and maturity and so on and so forth. He was created good, but not perfected. Okay. Had he obeyed, had he passed the test, had he resisted Satan, you know, cast him out of the out of the garden, you know, from there, what what's the game plan on your incarnation? Anyway, does does Adam is Adam confirmed in glory there? Um, is Christ, you know, Adam and Eve's first kid? Like, when does that happen? Anyways, does it happen at the? Are we are we thinking like at the end of of a long growth of? of 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 the human of the human um population such that such that in a sense we have first head a fountain head and then we have you know as as the as the you know bobbing actually has this organic doctrine of the image of god that that is not just individual it's 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 you know in in the in the man and the male female pair and then also corporate in the people and so he has a doctrine of of federal headship within the image itself so we're talking like an initial head and then a culminating head uh but then at that point it seems like you have it at that point it seems like you I mean, have I think two there's a number of things going on two unfallen unfallen heads of humanity um that seems to be uh you know christ as the second adam restarting and and and, and culminating perfecting and saving um it seems I wonder what, uh, you know, in a sense, two unfallen fountainheads of, of humanity. Uh, he, he, at that point, he wouldn't be a fountainhead. He would be a, a, a stopping point. He would be 
I don't know. It seems like it would be an intrusion in a stream that's already flowing along quite nicely. Um, instead of, instead of the, instead of the champion that breaks through the dam that had it, had it stopped up. Um, I mean, does that question, is that, I mean, is that a, is that a bad way of, I'm pointing it, I'm posing it adversarially. So you have to work it out positively. Well, <laughs> I just, I if just love in, the fact, if you look in the I garden, just love the fact, Alistair, before you say this, I just love the fact that you just ask for details about a speculative, like pure speculation. And now give us some details. <laughs> like, tell us the well, story. I mean, because that's, that's, that's about like the, the hardest thing well, you mean, could that's, that's possibly point, do. Right. Um, we're already speculating well, and now speculate further well, and give us the whole narrative there, from beginning and, to and end. These speculative questions. If these speculative questions are supposed to illumine, Let's if just they're do supposed to the illumine these current realities, I'm just saying then then we we can't because I sometimes when I see this 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 way posed, it's like oh he would have happened and well we don't really know etc. But it's it's a it's a great idea to have there in our in our in our toolkit um, of like cool theological ideas and it does these things. But I, my question is what else would it do? Besides the couple of cool things that we like, yep. what problems might it? Okay, so let's scrap anti-speculative bias. What would it? What would it screw up with what we have? What could it? So that's my question. Because it seems like it could. Well, I think first of all, the situation in the garden was always aimed towards something more than that. So if you look in the garden, you see, for instance you have all these lands that are described outside that they're supposed to presumably go out to and take those treasures, the gold and the precious stones and bring them into the garden and glorify the garden and bring that garden up to a, a higher level that they're supposed to fill the earth and subdue it and all these sorts of other things. Now, if Adam was going to be perfected within the garden itself, I wonder what happens to the rest of the human um, purpose, the role beyond the garden and in particular what role does the woman play if yeah, the woman that's the, does not mm -hmm. bear seed if that seed has no part to play if it's just adam himself this original human being achieving the end of humanity himself why create the woman why have seed right and i think what we are seeing in christ is the eschatological destination of humanity achieved through the acts of forming and filling that humanity male and female do together and it's the fulfillment of that the whole work of humanity that humanity has been called to and in that respect he had to be the last adam the one that culminates um all of this this purpose he can't okay. be the first adam but it's and it's specifically and it's specifically the woman's role like just to underscore this that i that i think is so central and important here um, I mean, you can't talk about Christmas without discussing Mary and, you know, it's, it, it fascinates me that as Christ is begotten of the father, uh, the man, Jesus Christ is begotten of a virgin mother, right? It's very, it's yeah. very elegant parallel. And the question is, is that, is 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 Mary's role just a sort of accidental to the whole thing such that she could be dispensed with she's just sort of um bearing a child or does she have 
um, a deeper place, a more central place in our understanding of what's happening in the current in the incarnation and the disclosure of God to the world right. that goes on. And within I, I, I want to say um, that, and so that I think, image thing. So, so I yeah. was hitting at earlier. I, I think there are, you can have a conception of the image that requires, that requires Adam and Eve, you know, procreating, filling it out and having like a big, um, you know, almost corporate image. I mean, Bob Inc. does that. And he, I keep talking about it because I just wrote a paper on this, but um, he does that uh, as well as re- rejecting the incarnation anyways, because, you know, you, you're just sticking to that. It, it's a deep federal and organic structure, but but it doesn't talk about what that would have looked like had that not. Um, he, he, again, on that, you, you, you have a head and you have... Uh, the rest of it is the fulfillment, uh, you know, the fullness of, of, of the image is still corporate, but you already have a head in that sense. Um, and so if you're looking at it on that analogy, the head analogy, then you're, you know, the body, um, it doesn't need another head, right? Because Christ is the head of the church. And now he's also the head of Adam who has fallen and, and has to be redeemed alongside everybody else. But an unfallen Adam, does he need a head in that same way? If he already is a head of corporate humanity, that is in all the fullness that requires, you know, the fullness of, 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 of an entire race and men and women and families and all that kind of thing. That's, I mean, doesn't that presume that, head is purely univocal there's no sense of different kinds of headship or different degrees that's part of my question fix it alistair fix your fix your speculative (laughs) construct for me and and then maybe convert me so i can believe what is not in scripture this podcast this podcast has definitely reached the level of like what we should, what we would normally be doing if we were at a very mm. nerdy social gathering, you know, talking about <laughs> questions we probably shouldn't be talking about, the sort of things you wouldn't really bring up in the hall in your classroom or anything like that, <laughs> or even tell your pastor because he might start to get a little nervous about you, right? This is it's perfect cocktail theology like cocktail in, in, party in, conversation. In Yes, we ask that you indulge us because yeah, it's the yeah. last podcast or of the year. Depending on how we publish <laughs> these, but I, I guess also with Andrew, with Andrew gone, I suppose that's that's me just adopting the long, difficult question um, role, which is often what he does. He kind of does that. What, what, so, so what he's saying is, I, I want to know if is is it this or is that, and then he just kind of goes off for like a like a five minute double question and ask you to clarify which one <laughs> Alistair's like it's the later one okay ex- excellent thank you <laughs> um yeah okay well this is helpful um <laughs> uh, that was, was very cheerful. that was very cheerful hey, this, is, this is not a hostile conversation uh, I'm, I'm not I'm well, not sure yeah. I believe it but <laughs> well yeah I'm I really mean, not sure you know, I believe it but this was a good, a good, you know, elucidation. And I'm not sure. Did you have more, Alistair? I mean, I, I did kind of hit you with a question there. I wasn't sure. 
Okay, all right, that's fine. No, um, particularly. That's did fine. we want to take up any other incarnation-related themes, or, or or did we just spend the entire show on that one? <laughs> I don't think we have time. I'm not sure we'd okay, have time. So this was good. Um, people, thank you for listening in. You guys have been fantastic. <laughs> yeah, people, Human all, of, of, all of our many, 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 many <laughs> listeners. Um, thank you. This this may or may not be the last episode of the year. Uh, depending on editing and ordering. Um, but if it is, we just want to thank you guys for uh, being a great uh, listener base and interactions on the comments. And for those of you, especially who are Patreon um, supporters, uh, helping keep the lights on and food on Anderson's table. Um, uh, that Thank you so much for the support. Uh, and if you've benefited this year at all, uh, we, we, we do hope that you would maybe support a little more by going and uh, rating and reviewing our show on iTunes. You can uh, find us on iTunes or go to the show notes at, at um, your orthodoxy.com. That really does help. Uh, but for now, uh, from all of us on the show, thanks for listening and have a happy Christmas, Merry New Year. All right. Bye.